hello everyone welcome to the new episode of everyday talkies now before you jump on to listening to this episode wait take a breath smile get your regular dose of life changing entropy here on everyday talkies Hello guys welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies and we are back with seventh episode of Guns Germs and Steel uh, in the series of Guns Germs and Steel this episode is called to farm or not to farm and we are back with your co-host Pushkar hello hello i just want to check with everybody who is listening to us i hope you were not demotivated by all the things pushkar had mentioned in the last chapter some of the things not all the things some of the things and you have continued to take interest in what we are reading and trying to explain you here so feel free to listen and enjoy what this chapter has to offer yeah and this should be encouraging because i actually told anshul that we should record this soon because i ended up reading it first this is much better than the last chapter i already converted pushkar so you guys are next in line you didn't convert me jared diamond converted me <laughs> fine fine and if you guys have not read the book it's absolutely fine pushkar is here to give you guys a quick recap of uh, what happened in the past uh, six episodes okay fine in the beginning we had yali question which was why did civilizations grow at a different rate in different parts of the world at different times then we learned about the birth of mankind going uh, humanity starting in africa 7 million years ago and then spreading out towards the world then we learned about two natural experiments one in polynesia one in south america which basically told us conquerors suck and uh, then we had a chapter which was about farming which i uh, slept through because i don't know it was very boring and now we're here guys please it becomes interesting especially in this chapter as well and for pushkar who blatantly rubbed through what happened in the last chapter uh, in the last chapter we were basically you know discussing why certain areas were more favorable for farming and and things around those lines and you know how did we determine the age how did we find out which crops grew when go listen to our last episode to know more about it and we had some interesting discussions as well uh, in the last episode which was slightly deviating from the theme of the book but yeah why not so swiftly jumping into the chapter so pushkar let's begin with you you read this chapter before me and it seems you enjoyed it so you know what uh, what brought you back i think the biggest thing that brought me back was he really went into explaining the process of why certain communities started food production early or certain communities started food production at a certain time and certain communities did not he finally started answering some of the questions that he asked for like five chapters straight this chapter i think is the first in many hopefully in the line which basically starts with the question that why was it around 8500 bc did uh, we started farming in the mediterranean region or in the fertile crescent region for people who are not a clueless about fertile crescent listen to her last episode and finally towards the end of the chapter he really answers that why around this time we got into food production but yeah let's uh, slowly get into the beginning of the chapter and then we'll discuss you know the five major reasons which he tells us why food production began the way it did he basically asked this very philosophical question which pushkar had already mentioned before that which uh, form of humans were better when we were in a hunter gatherer mode or when we started farming and uh, he also mentions by sharing some facts where the people who initially started farming they had to spend more hours at work and they died early they had a smaller lifespan than hunter gatherers which is something which is shocking for me to hear because uh, intuitively if he's speaking you know if you are farming if you have settled down in a place you tend to live more but apparently uh, what farming brought was new sets of diseases and again people living in close proximity so diseases spreading faster and things like that he talks about the way uh, life like hunter gatherer life is generally 
imagined is as like in Thomas Hobbes's words nasty brutish and short we studied this in philosophy where he talked about there's a concept called the state of nature and different people have different theories on the state of nature and hobbes's state of theory was that in the state of nature people were just constantly murdering each other killing each other there was lawlessness violence and this was basically life before uh, we as a human race became civilized or like rather certain people became civilized and they felt they had to civilize other people anyway back to the point that was the general notion that hunter gatherers were always like more primitive and more brutish than people who ran like agra- agrarian societies and all this but jared diamond then goes to show us evidence that 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 may not necessarily be the case yeah and then he starts displaying some of the misconceptions which i guess i was one of the ones who had it so in the chapters that we have been reading we always throw out these numbers that 11000 years ago farming started farming started and from an intuitive sense it makes sense that okay one day they just discovered or invented farming and that's it voila and uh, there were farmers now but then he goes on to explain that how it was a gradual process uh, there's this nice timeline that he mentions that initially we were as hunter gatherers we were nomadic creatures right we moved on from one place to another and that is how i think most of the humans you know moved on from africa to indonesia to australia to you know north america south america and all these regions and after that slowly and steadily when we settled into this area we, we became more sedentary right so we basically chose one area and we settled there and then we became food producers now obviously this is the most traditional way which he mentions you know nomadic sedentary and then food producers but there were areas where with extreme weather conditions right where food production cannot be possible people still became nomadic right they were still in the hunter gatherer phase similarly there were cases where people settled down but never became food producers and then there were the usual case from nomadic they directly went into food producers and then became sedentary yeah so basically food production and sedentary living and hunter gathering and nomadic living did not exactly go hand in hand there wasn't really a correlation as we can uh, make out uh, just by majority or something so like he gives examples of certain people you know uh, in australia basically being still being hunter gatherers but because they had such an abundance of you know all these uh, moa and uh, seals and all that they did not feel the need to keep moving everywhere i mean some people still like went to polynesia as we read in chapter 2 but uh, the people in new zealand and everything uh, the maori people they basically stayed stayed where they are and then they you know eventually gradually moved on to food production once the animals were extinct he explains that why did we start at 8500 bc and not um, uh, 25000 bc or 30000 bc and we'll get to uh, those factors and you know this is one line which he mentions in the beginning of the book that he mentions that we have a understanding that food producers are active managers of the land whereas hunter gatherers are mere collectors of land's wild produce which is again not exactly true yes and the examples that he gave us very some was something which is eye opening for me because as that author mentioned that they are the brute creatures right they just kill animals and go on with the living the survive and next day eat just go on with that right it's not uh, flint stones <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i'm surprised it took us like seven episodes to get to this reference yeah yeah but yeah but he mentions that hunter gatherers themselves had a ability to manage land when they saw that wild crops which they ate wild not crops wild flora yeah wild flora grew in the area and they ate that they knew they had to preserve it right because they did not know how to grow more of it they would eat the part that is nutritional and then leave leave the rest of the part 
back in the ground buried you know so that uh, it would regrow uh, you know after a while basically not knowing that this is farming they started farming because they didn't know how to create more of it but they were at least making sure that nature provides it it was like a thing where uh, hunter gatherers in many cases knew how to take care of the nature around them they did not simply go destroying it like in certain cases definitely they uh, you know killed all the so many species went extinct because humans drove them to extinction but that was not always the case he also mentioned that not just this they also figured out a way that let's say there are wild pr- crops growing on and then there are other crops which they don't really eat they knew to remove those crops so that basically the act of weeding right to make sure that there is more room for growth for these crops that they eat and similarly the idea of burning the land so that it becomes more fertile now obviously we now know in this day and age after so much research that burning your land continuously obviously destroys the land more but again back then i think we should give them credit where credit is due no but one thing i found very funny was when he talks about how hunter gatherers rationalized their what they wanted to hunt it was like there were two ways to go about it one was rationalizing you know should i uh, hunt for this uh, so that i have food for now and tomorrow or should i hunt for this so that i have abundant food now or should i hunt for uh, uh, something like a, a deer which would give me a lots lots of meat lots of nutritional meat but there is no guarantee of finding it and also then there was then there was this line about uh, he says that hunter gatherers might uh, rather go giraffe hunting every day bag a giraffe once a month and thereby gain the status of great hunter than bring home twice a giraffe's weight of food in a month by humbling themselves and reliably gathering nuts every day you missed one key point he mentions men hunters men hunters yes exactly we mustn't forget that so it's it's just like yeah we have had a uh, you know homophobic stance towards uh, everything since the beginning of time because we would rather kill a giraffe than go near any nuts makes sense and even uh, you know Okay. Nice. Nice but <laughs> nice. <laughs> I've lost all my train of thought. But yeah, coming back to the point, Pushkar, you know, uh, you mentioned that prioritizing time and effort where it is due. And I I don't know if I can find that line somewhere because I, you know, wrote it down that this is something which I have to read it. Yeah, so he mentions that foraging humans like foraging animals have only finite time and energy which they can spend in various ways. We can picture and we can picture a farmer waking up and asking, "Shall I spend today hoeing my garden?" Basically, you know, planting crops or gathering selfish or hunting a deer so humans and animals animal foragers are constantly prioritizing and making effort allocation decisions even if only unconsciously so you know in today's day and age when we learn about time management and scheduling as pushkar was pushkar will remember very fondly <laughs> hunter gatherers were doing that way back then so there was like some amount of rationalization that went into uh, hunting and gathering but the bigger point was that in food production that did not really uh, become the case you know you could just keep on growing food uh, without rationalizing it as such and it would take up a, like an expansionist mentality that you would just keep on expanding because you don't need to rationalize in that case you don't need to look out for your immediate survival so you can uh, focus on expanding more and he also mentions that you know when we say the word food producers or farmers we think that okay you know conventional farmers growing crops and you know managing cattle and all of that but this is nice example he mentions i don't remember the countries but he mentions that how people in farming community also there is a distinction there's a cultural distinction and they uh, look down upon each other yeah but there's a really funny line in there where he says that um, in terms of uh, hunter gatherers and farmers uh throughout his human history farmers have tended to despise hunter gatherers as primitive hunter gatherers have despised farmers as ignorant and herders have despised both <laughs> so i wonder you know that farming was i guess before language developed right because i think in terms of uh, writing and all of that 
so how are such inherent biases or cultural differences coming up when we are in such primitive stages this is something which i wonder a lot that you are despising somebody who does something differently from very early on even before you know how to communicate i mean it makes you wonder if we're just naturally you know wired to uh... wired for you know jealousy or uh, whatever that is what see my assumption okay my i might be going on a tangent here but my assumption that you know these feelings that we draw like be jealousy anger happiness and all of this right i somehow relate to this to the beginning of language i thought that this originated when we started communicating with each other right because unless you communicate be it non verbal or verbal whatever be the matter be it sign language you don't know how the other person is feeling so if you don't have any context on the reaction you don't know how you are feeling so in my mind you know the state of feeling the state of uh, understanding what you feel exactly started when you started communicating in some sense or the other but i mean maybe it could be it could be the other way around you know like when people weren't communicating it the communicating it's easier to uh, assume things and demonize them you know so if hunter gatherers and farmers like he gives examples of native american hunter gatherers and farmers who did not come into contact or did not uh, they were separated by either like just minor differences or geographical reasons as well they kind of grew to despise each other but it's like once language came about i think people started solving those or like you know bringing those uh, differences away by using language so i think language kind of became an important tool in solving conflict i mean it also started a lot of them but it also became an important tool in uh, ending them yeah makes sense though we'll get to know more i'm sure there is a chapter which explains all of it solving conflict by uh, language is much better than farmers coming in and just like replacing hunter gatherers uh you know <laughs> true as we discussed in the last chapter right we talked about culture we talked about you know men hunters being egoistical and then comes the d- kind of lifestyles that farming led to that neighbors could directly adopt completely what the others are doing and start farming or they could ad- adopt parts of it or they could be like bro you do what you do i'll remain as a hunter gatherer and this is what is it and this one very great example which i want all of us to hear so this is again directly quoted from the book around 3000 bc hunter gatherers of southern sudan adopted farming based on southwest asian crops and abandoned it around 2700 bc so within 300 years they did farming and they didn't like it and they abandoned it and went back to hunter gatherers for 400 years before coming back to farming so what might have happened in those 300 years those sometimes three... you just have a phase you know like people have phases <laughs> but okay in this context even back then so this is happening around what 3000 bc so obviously human life is uh, human lifespan is not that great the average lifespan would be what 40 50 years i'm again assuming all of this i might be completely wrong it might be lower than what i am assuming so there are like five six generations you're farming and then some day one generation comes do hell with this i'm going back to being hunter gatherer like what might have happened that changed this like so drastically because i assume the life of a farmer like a settled farmer after five generations right it would would have been more settled than being a hunter gatherer who's just surviving day in and out for uh, just eating it could be any number of factors right something it could be uh, geographical it could be related to the weather it could it could be anything i mean um i guess we'll have to investigate that to really find out the truth or maybe you know they just all decided at the same time that let's just go retro <laughs> they had the concept of doing that uh moving on so basically with all of this we understand that food production did not come after the hunter gatherer phase rather they coexisted and there were two different alternative lifestyles you could be a hunter gatherer and survive or you could be a farmer and survive now there are pros and cons to each other and we now know that since we are here in 21st century that farming 
overpowered hunter gatherers in more than one yeah. sense so now he lists them five reasons that why did it did so so pushka do you want to go with the first one yeah so the first reason he mentions is pretty obvious which is a uh, decline in the availability of wild food so as we mentioned before and as jared diamond has mentioned in previous chapters whenever humans acquired a new area the megafauna and flora that existed there they just like started uh, consuming it at a really like high level and it led to so many of these megafauna or even plants going extinct so because uh, once they went extinct there was scarcity of food and because of scarcity of food these people had to learn to uh, produce fo- food in a more managed way and not just willy-nilly uh, eat everything they see coming to the next point which basically is an extension of this first point right as wild foods declined they saw that there was an increased availability of domesticated wild plants now obviously all plants yeah. are wild until they're domesticated so at some <laughs> point you can always consider that there was a wild cow but fine there's a whole series of videos by uh, either hank green or john green i don't know i get those two confused sometimes but they have a series of videos that talk about uh, the origins of various vegetables for example cauliflower or broccoli as it exists exists now is not the same vegetable that existed like 1000 years ago or 5000 years ago there are like wild ancestors to these plants there are wild ancestors to bananas for example which were uh, not you know squishy and uh, tasty as they are today but were more chewy and bitter and all these things corn for example corn was brought into uh, the americas around like thousands of years ago whatever there's a whole series if you can find it on youtube it's very interesting it gives a whole history of plants but yeah that is basically the the thing you know once these uh, certain plants uh, evolved into becoming domesticated plants you know that were uh, more nutritious or more tasty to eat uh, humans obviously would prefer to farm those plants instead of just looking for wild um, things that may not be as nutritious or taste as good yeah the third reason was basically they learned how to store things not only storing collecting and processing as well right i mean i was going to go on the point that they learned holding and passed on the genes to me that's why i <laughs> keep holding books and stuff but yeah. <laughs> yeah but you know as we were discussing i think in the very first episode right or the first or the second episode where we were appreciating the farmers right though they discovered wheel and wheel is considered one of the biggest inventions they discovered plowing right which basically led to this whole advent of farming and here also he mentions right that how they invented sickles baskets you know underground storage pits where ultimately you can only grow and harvest crops if you have a place to store it or else it just becomes that you grow it for that day and you eat it and then again you uh, look for food the other day so that's hunter gatherers all again yeah all you can't grow anything for a day but okay <laughs> yeah well you understand my point right no see that's how far you are from uh, our ancestors our food producing ancestors he does mention in this thing about people today who cannot imagine farmers or hunter gatherers because they get all their food so like they get all their food from other like indirect sources it's hard to imagine for them people who had have never had exposure to farming or hunting gathering would always think of it as some like some very uh, hard thing to do something that is very dangerous and hard and this and that but in reality it's not like that it's it's much more uh, complicated because you have to have a relationship with nature you know like we also discussed this where we were i think uh, bashing on all the bureaucrats and i think all of us right where we basically enjoy the most amount of benefits without growing our own food which is absolutely yeah. counterintuitive to how hunter gatherers and farmers lived no and like recently because i have started somewhat like i have kind of rekindled my interest in cooking it really uh, affects your perspective in a way just that i don't even grow my own food but just to handle food in a way 
and you know uh, make you know uh, edible dishes out of it that kind of really changes your perspective on food just how important everything about it is for the most basic example is people keep telling you not to waste food right so when you are actually cooking food you learn you realize that how much sometimes you can end up wasting and how much you can actually utilize that goes to waste sometimes so things like that you know try in whatever capacity you can at least try having a plant or growing something probably you'll enjoy that you learn how we evolved from a baser instincts maybe you'll connect with nature a bit more oh yeah definitely if you have a garden people with gardens are very weird and in a very like uh, interesting way like uh, you know people like jrr torkin who uh, used to talk to his trees in the garden and everything i know personally people who have gardens who talk to their plants you know uh, it's very weird but also uh, in a way it's kind of endearing i don't know maybe people if you uh, grow a plant you'll kind of realize its value one controversial opinion here have plants not kids moving on <laughs> <laughs> oh wow nice okay uh, okay no no this is actually a really good segue uh, have plants instead of people because the next reason he gives uh, for the increase in food production like farming is uh, rising densities of population because uh, it's like a chicken and egg situation either because the population rose that dem- that uh, called for uh, that increased the demand of food uh, which led to more farming or either or the other way around more farming happened which led to abundance of food which shortened birthing spans and everything and the population rose either way it created uh, what is called an autocatalytic uh, autocatalytic process which is a, f- a positive feedback cycle and it keeps going faster and faster once it starts so today learning that whole autocatalytic process thing it kind of scared me in a way because uh, think about uh, a positive feedback cycle that keeps on going faster and faster if it happens with something bad and today we can see examples of that and even food production is like destroying nature is a is an example of this right that the population is not stopping anytime soon right and it's yeah, growing exactly. crazily and we need to find both space for us to stay that is shelter and food for us to eat and water for us to drink so in order to do that we are destroying more and more of nature just to find an uh, find artificial means to source those things or it fasten the nature's process of providing those things to us more than that there is also the fact that the more we grow in population the more greed probably or the more good lifestyle you want like you will never be satisfied as we move ahead with a small probably a small house you know where you're just self sufficient enough to be well but you would always want for more so see the thing is what happens in these cases is a certain segment of the population keeps advancing while a majority of the population keeps on their lives keep on degrading you know uh, as times go on i mean certainly there are like advances in say hygiene or advances in uh, cleanliness or just like uh, other healthcare and what not but economically socially if you talk about it a lot of like the life quality keeps going down for a, a major chunk of the population i think somewhere in this chapter only jared diamond mentions that uh, because there is such an abundance of food production it is the benefits of it are reap, uh, reaped by a certain class of people and they kind of uh, make up the Uh, you know the elite who keep most of that i remember this one particular line which let me find that it talked about the paradox of all of this so okay yeah found it here this bidirectional link between food production and population density explains the paradox that food production while increasing the quantity of ed- edible calories per acre left the food producers less well nourished than the hunter gatherers whom they succeeded that paradox developed because human population densities rose slightly more steeply than did the availability of food 
in hindi there's a proverb ki jitna pair hai utna chadar phailao so basically what uh, he's trying to say is that apna pair was constantly out of the chadar just a little because uh, population kept uh, increasing just a little bit more than uh, the amount of food that we produced it's interesting that kind of feeds into the last reason that uh, jared diamond gives which is um, because the population rose so steeply they simply outbred uh, the hunter gatherer populations that existed alongside them the uh, hunter gatherers they grew at a very you know measured very small rate but because uh, these food producers started growing exponentially they simply kind of the word he uses is outbred which makes sense okay outbred is one but the other factor is that they were brutal enough that they captured they killed or replaced them and captured the land like he said farmers despised the hunter gatherers because they thought them thought of them as primitive and you know in an effort to again civilize them as we always know it ends up in a shit show whenever a human thinks that the other person is below them and wants to better their life there's always a shit show happening yeah. and i think there's a very nice line i don't know how to interpret this but in the end uh, i think the last few lines he mentions that i want to give some context before reading the last line so let me start a bit early. he mentions that there are few people who remained hunter gatherers in the 20th century who escaped the replacement for food producers and they were confined to areas that were not fit for food production especially deserts and arctic regions within the present decade even they will have been seduced by the attractions of civilization settled down under pressure from bureaucrats or missionaries or succumbed to germs i mean it's a very powerful line i think that's why that's why i love this chapter so much because it it kind of comes towards that point of maybe telegraphing that uh, society as it exists today civilization as, as it exists today is not the pinnacle of uh, human achievement that we think it is i mean it reminded me there's a there's a quote from my favorite book that i like it's from the far pavilions which is if you haven't read it it's a it's an amazing book you should read it it's basically you know about this boy who grows up in uh, grows up in 18th century india and he suddenly is transported uh, when he's 11 he suddenly transported to britain and he has to learn how to act like the british people and uh, it's like he says that you know um, there's a line in the book which is um, it was terrible to think that one day there might be no wild beautiful places left where one could escape from the things that uncle matthew and his friends called progress and you know that line kind of hit me very hard because we see a lot of the world kind of becoming this monotonous that is very much in um, i don't know how to explain it it's very much this robotic machinistic thing that does not allow for any sort of uh, freedom I, i don't mean this in like a you know a republican american kind of a way like people are taking away our freedoms and this and that it's hard for me to explain i guess you should just read the far pavilions to get it basic essence is similar right that we are losing touch with nature in the name of progress as simple as that and just read the book you get it to more i think that basically brings us to the end of this chapter where finally he answers the question why in 8500 so in 8500 because there were no more wild floods they had basically finished all the wild floods they developed better tools you kind of summed it up in a good way like um, we are losing uh, touch with nature as we keep on evolving and expanding i don't know there's just something uh, kind of sad about it for me you know even though we're reading this book and we're learning more about the history of humanity and there's obviously some depressing chapters and you get to know how we evolved but i also am optimistic in a way that i feel that there is a situation that we can create or there is a solution that we can think of where we can coexist with nature oh yeah, yeah definitely like uh, for all this all this sadness that i have about losing touch with nature i don't think i could last one day in 
in nature without wifi <laughs> true and you know you don't have to also right i think that there is a possibility that you can appreciate nature you can preserve nature and still enjoy star trek or watch monster stuff australia or whatever really there is a way there is a sustainable way of doing it as the the kids these days call it oh nice but yeah i think that brings us to this end of this episode as was at the chapter let us know if you uh, liked it and if you have some differing opinions well there's no point telling us or tell the author he's what 80 or 90 <laughs> years old please don't bother him also so write yeah. your own book we might do a, a review <laughs> of that oh uh, that is that is the most like end all argument to you know end all arguments just like whatever okay fine write your own book then we'll see <laughs> Oh, why am I becoming so mean to our listeners? Thank you so much, guys, for listening to us. Before we go, like for the next episode, I would like like to ask you a question, Anshul. Okay. Do you like almonds? Well, I like nuts. <laughs> 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 okay, confirmed. Anshul like Anshul likes nuts. Nuts. If there's anything that you want to take away from this episode, that will be. Yeah, especially you know, uh, cashew and uh, you know what, uh, pista ko pista hi bolte hai na yar. I don't know what it's called in English. Pistachio, yeah, it's pista. Oh, pistachio. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's so bad. But yeah, guys, I like this one. Don't fall into traps set by Pushkar. <laughs> Bye, guys, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Academia nuts. Thank you for listening to this episode. Follow us on social media and do let us know if you want to be part of the next episode. Till then, live long and prosper.